Right, we're back. John was having uh, some technical issues, but no surprise there. <laughs> He's managed to resolve them. You talk- lying sack of shit. We can talk about the three things that I just introduced. You lying sack of puss. Am I lying, Jonathan? Yes. John Connor T. Connor William. John T. <laughs> Who fucking told you that? <laughs> John T. Come on now. Oh, that was my childhood <laughs> nickname for my fucking parents. John T. John T. What's your middle name? I don't have one. Honestly. Do you not? I promise you. No, no. Really? Promise you, my my late brother's middle name was also William, but my then my next brother, my older brother, and me, we don't have middle names. Promise you, fair enough. If you could, if you no, if you could choose a middle name, what would you choose? Well, I could choose a middle name technically because there's no nothing to stop me in English or Irish law from just changing my name. Um, Yeah, but that'd be pathetic. It would be, but I've never never thought about it, mate. Oh, Aurelius. Veronica. That could be really fucking pretentious, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be very. I suppose technically look like my, a... my name is actually bald, isn't it? Because I'm evil bog genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Good point. I reckon uh, you'd suit Lenny. Oh, you reckon? That's actually my fucking wife's ex-husband's name, and he's a... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I once throw the rabbits, George. <laughs> Do you know what that's from? No. No, of mice and men. Benny, Benny would be a good one from Crossroads. Benny, no. Benny Lenny. was a bit slow. Benny was special. So was Lenny. All oh, right. John Lenny McCulloch. Anyway, <laughs> should we talk about ego? Let's talk about ego. It's, uh, that's, a particularly appropriate topic. that's a particularly appropriate topic for us to talk about because of your refusal to admit that Holly could be stronger than you. She could be. I don't think she is, but she here is. we are. We'll see, won't we? See when. How about at Elite? We can have a lift off. That, that training room is... Shit, there's not even a. Oh, here Olympic we go. Oh, I, I could do it. I could outlift her, but it's a shit training room. What a load of fucking knob that is. I'm just saying they don't have the, the material. Dude, the weights they've got in there are far too much for you, those 10 kilogram vinyl weights. You can struggle <laughs> with those. No, they don't even have a barbell, I don't think. I don't think they do, do they? It no, it's just dumbbells. Shy, it's a shit gym. It is. It's a shit gym. And it's always warm in there. Well, that's no bad thing necessarily, because it it you know you don't want it too cold. I train in a sub-zero barn, <laughs> so I'd much prefer that to the little sauna they've got going on. Sauna you than me. Ego, mate. <laughs> Ego. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a huge, huge problem. Now, some pe- people kind of I mean, pe- people, most people know what someone who is egotistical means you know that they see it as being the the person who always has to be right the the inflated i am and that is true but it's only one small part of ego ego is huge when you think about it pun intended but the the topic of ego is huge because 
just worrying about what other people think about you and wanting to be seen in a certain way, whether or not that ref reflects the reality, that is ego. So when people say something like, oh, I want to say this, but I don't want to appear to be racist, that's ego. You, know, yeah. you are presenting, and if you think about it, social media in particular um, is is all about fucking ego. Now, can you imagine? I mean, a healthy ego is is a healthy thing because we all like a, a strong, positive sense of self, um, and it's and, it, and it's inextricably linked with your self esteem. But can you imagine how miserable your life must be if you're one of these influencers, and you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is either check your follow account and these like shares comments and views and and if you get say a drop in engagement or a drop in your follower count or you get someone saying horrible things and that actually affects you mentally and it ruins your day like some of these people it does with some of these people what a miserable fucking sad sack way to live eh? seriously awful and and those that have the largest egos tend not to deserve them either I would agree with that as well. I mean, anyone who has an overinflated ego is is hiding something, I suspect, some deep insecurity. Yeah. Typically, if you want to get to the top of the mountain, irregardless of your job, role, position, industry, you only get there by at some point shedding your ego. I, I yeah, embracing I objectivity. Yeah. I mean, people are surprised to learn I don't have a massive ego. They assume I do because I'm forthright. But that, that, I can't even bother to argue with them. I don't need to, <laughs> you know. Um, but the, the, it's, it's, I think the, it's a typical trait, isn't it? You see a a business owner who's very strong in their opinions, has success. They think, oh, I must have an ego, ego the size of a planet. Well, there's a difference, isn't there, if you think about it, between being being forthright and believing what you say and not and not being afraid to say it. And then there's a difference between that and then assuming that you are absolutely correct all the time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the two things can go together, but they don't have to. Now, anybody who bothers to, to look at anything I do will, will realise I actually often say either I don't know or I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, then I've got no problem. I, I don't. I don't see being wrong as being a reflection of me as, an, as a human being. What would be a reflection of me as a human being is being wrong and refusing to accept it or admit it. Well, that's that's the trouble with ego, and and you could almost say the size of your ego is directly correlated to how much you care about how you're viewed. So, for oh, example, definitely. middle managers. Middle managers, they, they, they know that their job is largely pointless and they are essentially the slave driver. <laughs> so yeah, therefore, if someone below them comes up with a good idea, that's a challenge. And even though the mm. truth might be that it's a fantastic idea, will help the company, will help everyone all involved, their ego just stands in the way and goes, absolutely not. Get back in line. When I was in, in corporate Britain, that kind of attitude was called not invented here attitude. Meaning if it wasn't really? invented within the team, yeah, if it wasn't invented within the team, it wasn't any good. We, we wouldn't touch it. 
I had one manager once. And I promise, I'm swear I'm not making this up. Now, if you're not a programmer, you might not realize how important this is. But we had a certain, this was before the World Wide Web really took off. And we had this, we were developing this system to basically present, it was a stock, it was a, a, like a stockbroker's. And we were writing software to present so people could log in and check their own portfolios. It's old hat now. It's this fucking ten a penny now. But at the time, it was groundbreaking. And the best possible language at the time to write that in was a, a language called Perl. It's meant for processing text. But because this manager didn't understand Perl, he understood C, which is a terrible language for processing text. He insisted we write it in C. So he could keep an eye on what we're doing because he was his ego was so huge. He was afraid we might usurp it in some way, or or in some way he was he was diminished because he couldn't understand the code we were writing. Fucking pathetic. You're know, we talking about a several million pound project here, and that this is 25, 30 years ago. Several million pound project, and his ego it just dictated the, the engineering principles. It's fucking ridiculous. And that's I didn't a last classic one, case because. No, I can't imagine. But that's a classic case of ego costing mm. you uh, a shit ton in opportunity, monetary value. Because um, that same decision could easily be made, or a very similar decision could easily be made by the, the owner of a company. Oh, no, I can't have my staff behaving that way because uh, I don't fully understand it. So let's, yeah, <laughs> let's you disable don't, ourselves. You don't trust your expert people to do what they do best. Now, if you think mm -hmm. about it, this is a direct parallel with, say, uh, MDs and CEOs of businesses who take on freelancers and other experts and insist on having input to what's being done, especially things like ads and, and, and sales copy and, and websites. The CEO has to have an input. Why? The fucking twat's not qualified most of the time to have an input. As long as what's been written is is factually correct and representative of what's going on, and yada, yada, yada. It's not his or her place to dictate how it's written. If he or she could do that, he or she would be fucking doing it, and, and they're not. You know? it, it, that's yeah, pure ego. The, the problems that a difficult bureaucracy can create often comes down to egos, oh, they have to be involved, or oh, because they'll be upset otherwise. Ridiculous. Oh, we have to do it this way. Why? Well, that's what Matey's always said. Yeah, don't want to rock the boat. So-and-so mm. gets upset. Now, here's the thing. It, it goes a lot deeper than this because, I mean, as you as as oh, as oh you know, obviously, because it's our business, but as the listeners and watchers probably know, we are very heavily focused and skewed on and skewed towards sales. Because without sales, you don't have a business. I mean, all the marketing in the world is great getting leads, but if you can't convert those fucking leads to business, what are you doing it for? You're just having lots of pointless conversations. And I reckon the, the biggest impediment to sales, now everyone says it's trust, and I think they're right. What they don't understand is why this lack of trust comes about. Well, the lack of trust comes about in part because of the salesperson's ego and that's often manifested in for instance in a sales conversation sales dialogue the the, the prospect might say something like oh this is an actual example it happened to me on a call uh, something like oh do you got any you got any coaches in this group i'm going to be asked 10k to join 
Now, a typical salesperson would go, yeah, we've got loads of coaches. Well, we've got that many now, but we've had loads. And I'll tell you what, what we do is perfect for coaches. If you're a coach and you want to you become a coach and you want to sell your shit, our solution is the best thing for coaches. All right? Now, that's the assumption you would make. This guy wants to be among coaches, right? That's ego. Then telling him, ego, 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 ask if he's great for coaches. Well, I asked the question, well, actually, before I answer that, why are you asking me? Oh, I don't like coaches. I've been in the group of coaches and they pissed me off. So your ego in trying to ram this thing down someone's neck would have, one, put you out of a sale, but two, that kind of, yes, this is perfect attitude, I am right, I've got the answers, is your ego speaking. And it puts people off. It puts if it makes them feel like they, they start to feel like they're being railroaded. All right. Well, and the truth in this particular case, for anyone who's interested, was he didn't like coaches. He was sick and tired of being a group of coaches. And I truthfully told him the answer. We do have a coach or two in there. It's not for coaches specifically. Um, and, you know, if you were a coach, it would help you. But it's, equally, you're in you're in construction. It'll help you anyway. You know. And mm -hmm. he's now joined us. Uh, he joined us several months ago, but, you know, and he's very, very happy with what's going on. But the ego of salespeople always having an answer to a question, for us, for instance, always saying, you know, our solution, our hammer is right for your nail of a problem. And another thing salespeople do is they just fucking talk incessantly. And what do they talk about? They talk about themselves. And if they're not talking about themselves, they're talking about the product or service. And if they're not talking about the product or service, they're talking about how they can solve their problem. What they're not doing is stopping to think and listen and say, what does this prospect actually fucking want? If I ask questions, I might look stupid. If I look stupid, they might not buy from me and I'll be diminished in some way. That's where most salespeople go comprehensively fucking wrong. Yeesh. To anyone in the world of sales, many business owners listening to this so you're in the world of fucking sales whether you like it or not yeah each question that gets asked of you or your sales team you have to think of it as almost like a, an iceberg and you, you you can just see the tip that's all you can see most salespeople they just address the tip as john just said is there any coaches in the group yeah we've got loads of coaches off they go on to the next tip of uh, another iceberg but you've got to slow down and really listen and figure out the fucking size of this iceberg. What does it mean? Well, how, how's that going to impact where the rest of that uh, sales call, sales journey is going to go? That desperation to have all of the answers, as you know, John, fuck, it comes from childhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you think about uh, it, when, every... you, when you're a kid at school and a teacher asks you a question, you have, you have to answer it. Even your parents mm -hmm. ask you a question, you have to answer it. But then if uncles and aunts or some fucking remote relation, or worse, just a family friend meets you in the street, oh, there's little Johnny. I haven't seen you for a long while. What are you doing now? And you go, and your mum goes, answer the man. You know, we mm -hmm. are taught from a very early age to answer people. And it's made worse because we, we're taught to answer people in a position of authority, whatever that's supposed to mean. And most business owners wrongly see a prospect as being a, a slightly senior figure because they've got money in their pockets you want in yours it's completely the wrong way to look at it but that's what you do you're going down this fucking rabbit hole and you don't even know you're doing it and now i've often said the chains that bind us the tightest are the chains we don't know we're wearing and and this slavish answering of questions and this slavish feeling of subservience to prospects and clients 
is ingrained in business owners and we don't or they don't even know it i know it it doesn't happen to me it doesn't happen to you it doesn't happen to our clients but it happens to the people who don't work with us or people like us would you say that the opposite of ego is humility i'd say it's the probably the opposite of part of ego yeah so if it was on a scale, there'd be raging ego one end and humility on one. I don't think it's that simple, though, because can people be humble yet still have a big ego, maybe, in some respects? Or can you still have a health? No, you can't, I don't suppose. But can you have a healthy ego yet still be humble? For How instance, would take, you define okay, healthy let, let ego? Me, Okay, yeah, well, this is this is a really good question. Let's take someone who's a 10th Dan in, say, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He mm-hmm. is pro- whoever he is or she is probably a very humble person because he or she can afford to be. Yeah. You know? But that doesn't, yeah. Mean, that doesn't mean to say they don't have a healthy ego, meaning they, they can walk anywhere they like and they won't be intimidated or bullied, browbeaten or badgered. Is that just competence, though? Competence in what? I mean, it, it, I don't think this is a question we can answer easily. This is a, this no. is the kind of question I think Socrates himself would have reveled in and tied you up in knots because it's all it's yeah. very hard to define, and we're certainly not going to do it. One, I don't think mm. they have the skills anyway, and two, <laughs> the podcast that's going to be around for about fifty minutes, forty minutes, certainly worth thinking yeah, about. Yeah, this though. is the sort of thing. This this is the sort of thing that uh, when all of our clients have fucked off home and you, we get that rare moment where it's just you and me, which is increasingly rare. Uh, and we sit there with the Jamesons and we chat shit for four oh, hours. Yes. And we go, that was great. We should do that for a podcast. Then we sober up and we're like, no, that'd be terrible for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're revealing all our secrets. <laughs> oh. And another yeah, another the, the reason about ego, sorry, salespeople is they don't want to hear no. It's all right. Because what they do is they, they take, you know, they, they can't, and I've had people say this to me because um, on my, my my calls, people are very candid because that's part of the rules. You don't have a call if you're not telling the truth. And they've admitted to me. They say, I don't like being told no because I feel it's it's like rejection of me. And my question is, are they, are yeah. they re- rejecting you? Or are they rejecting what you're offering as a solution to their problem for whatever reason? And can you not? You know, are you unable to divorce the two? And they'll say, yeah, I can't. Well, I find and that baffling. But that's, you can, that's you can almost take it one deeper as well. They've rejected the current presentation of the offer. Yeah. Because that's all they've got. Like, yes, the offer is the offer, but there's there's a difference in style and substance in a way you can present an offer. Yeah, so they haven't. In a way, you can argue they haven't even rejected the offer itself. Always, they've just rejected the presentation of it. Yeah, and absolutely. you're right. That damages people's egos because it's tied to their self worth, and they now feel incompetent. Which is another reason why they always feel like they have to answer questions because we've always been told, "Oh, the man who has all the answers, you know, is the competent one." You go to the doctors, you'd feel rather incompetent if the doctor, well, you'd, you'd argue that some people would feel rather uncomfortable if the doctor starts saying, I don't know. But I would argue on the contrary, it's refreshing that a doctor would say, I'm not sure about this. Let's talk to a specialist rather than just getting their dick out and, you know, spraying jizz everywhere. And I'm meant to be going for a more professional manner. And I just said that. Well, it's quite interesting. I, I took my vet cat to the vet last Sunday, as you know, and it had to be put down because he'd been poisoned, it, it looks like. And the vet was doing exactly that. I was saying, 
he said, look, just looking at him, his, his chances of survival from this are very, very poor. I said, well, what's wrong with you? He said, I don't know. He says, it could be lots of things. It, it could be uh, an injury causing fluid buildup in the abdominal cavity and the chest, sorry, the, the pleural cavity, so he can't breathe. It could be something in the lungs. I don't know. He says, but what I do know is he needs to be on oxygen because he's otherwise, you know, he says he could even die before we get this set up. He's really bad. And I went, we went back and forth. And I, and I found it on one level, I found it really frustrating because I wanted to know what was wrong with him, but I also understood. I wasn't getting angry with the vet or, or anything with the vet. I was frustrated at the situation. And I says, well, if, it's, if his chances of survival are very poor, he's in distress now, let's just put him down. So the vet took him away and he actually died before he got the, the, the cannula in to inject him. Um, fluid came out of his lungs. It was, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember what they call it now. It was fluid on the lungs. Um, uh, edema pulmonary edema um, so it, the vet said knowing that there's no way to survive no matter what we did so we did the right thing um, but the vet was saying, <laughs> i don't know i can't tell you what to do because i've got no idea what what this is i mean there's, there's so many possibilities and i would be it'd be wrong of me to say which one i think it is because i don't think it's any of them and i think it could be all of them you know well, it, it was just a horrible situation but he said the right thing my, my friend dev is a doctor and he can be really frustrating too, not because he's awkward, but because he's just saying, I don't know, you know, your symptoms, what you've just described could be lots of things. I need to you know, grab your balls and tell you to cough. It could be any one of these three things. I'm kind of saying, can't you be more specific? No. Now, to be fair, to be fair, he will tend to go a little bit further with me because he knows I accept it. He could be completely wrong. Yeah. Um, but with, with anyone else, he's just, no, I'm not prepared to do that because... If I get it wrong, it could kill you kind of thing. So so, so embrace humility. Drop yeah. the ego. You'll make more sales. You'll make better decision-making. Uh, you, you'll make far better decisions. Uh, there's think, really a time and a place for your ego. I think one of the, the easiest ways to do this, because there, there's a there's a big, there's a kind of gap between, okay, this is what I need to do. How the fuck do I do it? Here's a solid piece of advice for you. Um, and, and this itself opens another can of worms, how you do this. But, Try to understand you don't control whether or not the prospect says yes or no. You don't. There's lots of things you can do to make it more or less likely, but ultimately you have no control over whether the prospect in front of you says yes or no. Okay. So knowing that, I encourage you to let go of any emotional connection to what that answer is. Because if you don't, what you're doing is you are predicating and basing your future happiness your sense of self-worth your well-being and indeed your livelihood on something you do not control that is stupid that's like jumping over a, of a, of a over a ledge or a wall without knowing what's on the other side you're just hoping it's okay it's ridiculous so i don't you know i, I want an answer from someone of course i do and I want the answer as soon as possible because i don't want to waste time and i'd like the answer as a preferred indifferent to be yes, because hey, who doesn't like making a sound? But beyond that, I, I don't generally don't care. If you want to tell me no, you tell me no, and the sooner you tell me, the better. Because then I can forget all about you and just move on to the next prospect. Mm. It's, it's also that, makes it's you that comfortable for me. Also makes you seem far less desperate as well. Well, that, that, that's a whole fucking other thing. If you don't seem desperate, mm. people want to buy from you. I actually did a video this morning. With my punch bag. You've probably not seen it yet about how to get not. the punch bag to swing towards me. You want to do it by pushing it away, not trying to pull it towards me. I'll yeah. send you the video. Yeah, we can even send it over. Yeah. It's the same with your prospects. Mm. Push them away. They'll come back far harder. 
Treat and if they, if, if you push them and they and they just drift away, never to be seen again, you've saved yourself a lot of time and effort and a lot of uh, a lot of time chasing up your pipeline because the amount of salespeople that love to keep a dead lead in their pipeline just to kid themselves that they've got a bunch of leads to be working for. I know it's pathetic, isn't it? Really mm. any, any, oh. Anything more you want to say on ego not, in not the world really. of business I mean, and sales? I only, I suppose, only to the extent that uh, ego is probably one of the first things and the most important things to fix because it's so fucking insidious. Yeah. Um, and it's all just encapsulating. Like, it just gives people some examples that probably resonate with all of them. Uh, getting into an argument on LinkedIn, going back and forth comment, 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 arguing with someone because you, you might feel if you don't reply to something they've said to establish your position because they've misinterpreted something, other people might think you're wrong. That's pure ego. Why do you care? Random strangers on the internet who've misunderstood something you've said and you're worried about it, you know? Um, that That's a, a huge, a huge, huge, huge example of where ego will keep you sucked in to this fucking swamp of social media and stop you from doing what you really want to do. So we spoke about the problem of ego. I now want to yeah. talk about some uh, characteristic traits of successful business owners. And I think the best place to start, because it does tie in with ego, is extreme ownership. I'd say, yeah, extreme ownership and resilience, they go hand in hand, don't they? Oh, certainly. But if you embrace extreme ownership without being a resilient individual, you, you'll crumble very quickly. Now, I I, I was quite annoyed with myself, to be honest. I, I thought I'd coined the phrase extreme ownership um, for last summer's event and that presentation I did. But then I, I went, I looked into it more and I realised that certainly it, it, it's someone else, Jocko Willink, the uh, former Navy SEAL. Willink. It's Willink. Willock. It's Willink, I think. It's Willock. Both reach for their Google. <laughs> Willink, thank you. Oh, I'm getting confused with uh, Joseph Willock, who plays for Newcastle. Yeah, because he was a former fucking Navy SEAL, wasn't he? For fuck's sake, Connor. Anyway. Hey, one's black, one's white. Yeah, they're absolutely nothing like each other. One's a black footballer. <laughs> I know. One's a black English footballer. <laughs> and the other one's a fucking white ex-Navy SEAL. Other than that, the same person. I've never Basically seen them the in the same, same room at the same time together. <laughs> fucking twat. Oh, me anyway. neither. Oh, God. I've got a bit red there. That's hilarious. Well, that's your ego, mate. Jocko Willink. Ego you've fan. Gone, can't you've be gone very to be red, haven't you? Oh, oh, you're nice and warm here. <laughs> so Jocko Willink, <laughs> he, he at least used the phrase extreme ownership before I did, and probably other people too. I'm going to think about it. It's not a difficult phrase to come up with. But the, that's not the point. You know, no. it's due. The, the point is, I learned, I learned that the, the, um, the discipline of extreme ownership, when I first read a book by guy called Robert Ringer. I can't remember which book it was. Um, but Robert Ringer, the libertarian author, uh, probably about 15 years ago, 
It was certainly before I moved here. So, and he tells it with a story where he, he's having some people introduce some decorate on the outside of his house, painters, and they drop a ladder on his car and it, it makes a right fucking mess of it, as you'd imagine. And he basically tries to, to say, you need to pay for my car. And they just said, no. So he, he tried to sue them and he, he kind of goes through this, this long story of how he's trying to nail these bastards down and they're really slippery trying to get them to pay for his car, these painters. And I think they might even counter-sue him for leaving his car in the way, that kind of This is America. <laughs> and then he says that in a moment of clarity, he realised he was spending far more than it would cost to fix the car, just because he wanted to be right. That's it. A little bit yeah. like people who argue about a six-inch strip of land between two houses, and they'll spend hundreds of thousands of pounds about where the fence post should be, or which side of the fence post the fence should sit, that kind of thing. Who cares? Well, that, that's, again, classic ego. And he says, in that moment, he just thought, fuck it. it we didn't swear, but he says, I realised I was waiting my time. So he just, from that moment on, he says, I take responsibility for everything that happens to me. And even if it's not my fault, if it's someone else's fault, there's no point in chasing them necessarily. I mean, there might be a, sometimes a case of reparations in the courts, but for the most part, let it go and focus on fixing it because it'll cost you less in the, 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 the long run. And also, it gives you a better sense of control. And again, going back to Dev, my doctor friend, he says uh, sometimes people come to him with the most awful diagnosis, because he's a cancer surgeon, you know. It comes to him with the most awful diagnosis. But once they know what it is, and then they have choices to make about whether it's chemo, surgery, both, or nothing, basically, they feel a lot better. It doesn't change the situation or even the outcome materially. You know, maybe they're going to die anyway. It's just like when and how. Um, but as soon as they accept responsibility for it, for making a choice, and they have some control over what happens next, they feel better. And you'll find everyone listening to this, you know, any situation that might come up, the worst thing you can do is sit there feeling helpless. Just taking action, no matter how futile and pointless it might be, leaves you feeling better because there's some agency there, or at least it feels like it. And of course, once you start making choices and taking action, things might happen to, to lead you to better choices, better decisions, better actions. If you sit there waiting for something to happen to you, but you feel like shit and it just happens anyway. I often hear business owners talk about wish I had more control on a certain situation, but you know, it's out of my hands. Oh. You know, this is, this is happening to me. Oh man. Which is completely and utterly the incorrect response. Take responsibility for all the shit that's happening to you in your company. Oh, what am I meant to do? My, my staff are useless. You fucking hide them. You daft cunt. Yeah. Yeah. They're your responsibility. The way they behave whilst employed at your company is your fault and your responsibility. Oh, can't control people. Ugh, ridiculous mindset. Never never adopt that victim mindset. It's a terrible one to have. No, it's, it's like people have got dogs, right? Now, dogs can be house trained, but sometimes even a, a well-trained adult dog will have an accident. Maybe you leave it for too long. It just gets caught short. Come downstairs to a turd in the hallway or a piss on the floor. There's no point whatsoever in shouting at the dog and blaming the dog. The dog has got no idea why you're shouting at it. All it does is make the dog feel like shit because the dog wants to please you. Look at yourself and say, well, actually, maybe I should have not given it so much water before bedtime. Maybe there's something wrong with the dog. I don't need to go to the vet. Or I'll tell you what, I'll just clear up the mess. 
<laughs> How about that? There's no point. It's like, like, it's like hitting children. I like children. to see things like that. Hmm. I, I like to see things like that. Uh, and I say this to Tamsin all the time. It's uh, the cost of the spoils. You get all the spoils having a beautiful companion in, in the shape of a doggy. The cost is they might piss or shit on the floor every now and again. And we, we, is that a fair trade? Nine times out of ten. Yeah. So then it's just cost of the spoils. Cost of the spoils. It's going out for dinner. Uh, you get brought the wrong thing. Oh, well, I chose to go here. I like going here. It's cost of the spoils. Got a choice to make now. I can either send it back, but w- whatever I do, I'll do it in a pleasure manner. This 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 slight inconvenience is just the the cost of the spoil of eating out, and that's all it is, isn't it? A slight inconvenience. That's all it is. Is it's same Someone as someone uh... brought you the wrong food. First world fucking problem. Hmm. I remember my when my eye essentially exploded after being hit with a football which is ridiculous. A size five football somehow managed to avoid my eyebrow bones, my nose bone, my cheek bones, whatever this part is, and managed to hit me right in the corner of my eye. Fuck knows how. Uh, Good shot. I'd like to <laughs> the shake, surgeon I'd like to shake I, the yeah, hand of the man shot. who did it. <laughs> it was actually my best friend. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> which told is you. weird because I'd... Yeah, it was a team of 20-odd players, and I only had one friend in the whole team, team of wankers looking back, and he was the one who did it. Anyway, the surgeons were so shocked that they thought I was lying. They said, you can tell us the truth. We don't care if you was in a fight or something. And I said, no, a, a football hit me. And they went, oh, was you playing with like a small tennis ball? I was like, no, a size five football hit me. And they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. They were like, wow, the odds of that, you're so unfortunate. And rather than getting upset with my best friend, who was inconsolable, as you can imagine at the time, we thought I was going to lose my sight, rather than getting angry, why me, this, that, and the other, it was just it's the cost of playing football. You're going to get injured. How can I be surprised when I get injured? It's my fault. Yeah, it, it's people, people are very big on mental health these days, uh, to the point it's fucking irritating. Um, but the one thing they don't want to do, many of these people, is is take responsibility, which requires that dirty word, resilience, um, because then it's mm-hmm. victim blaming. Yeah. Now, let's take Why a really we... ex- extreme example of resilience. Um, women get raped, say, and we see it all the time. You know, and, and I'm not, and, and again, when I start talking like this, people always say, oh, so you think it's okay to rape people? You know, real Kathy Newman stuff to uh, Jordan Peterson. You know, roll your eyes. No, that's not what I'm saying. Women get raped, or people get their children. Their children get killed in by drunk drivers. These things, awful things, happen. They they really do, and it's fucking tragic. And they never should, but they do. When that happens to you, or to someone you love, you have one choice: what you do about it. Now, some some women, some people, some parents, they will spend the rest of their lives saying, "So and so ruined my life. This is what they did, and my life has been ruined." And they might be like that for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years and die. I know someone who had an abortion at 15 um, and her parents basically said, well, we're not supporting you to have the child, so it's up to you. Well, she, now she's going around, now she's, you know, she's coming up for 50, she's saying, oh, my parents made me have an abortion. No, they didn't. Um, and it ruined my life. Well, that's your choice. You know, you're letting it ruin your life. And other people, they have these bad things happen. And they say, well, I took what I could from it. And then I just left, let the rest go. Now, this comes down to what we call forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a 
very resilient thing to do. But it's mostly misunderstood. It's not what the Christians often think about turning of the cheek, allowing people to do what they want, saying to people, you treated me really badly and it's okay, come back and do it again. It's not like that at all. The analogy I like to use is you're carrying a burden. That is all the fucking worry and angst you have about this situation, this thing happening to you. And you've got someone else who's perhaps walking along as well. They're, they're the guilty. They are actually the guilty party. And you're carrying this burden that they've, they've given you and you're pissing and moaning about having to carry this burden. Well, forgiveness is actually about putting that burden down and saying, you can do what you like with this burden. It's yours, not mine. I'm just going to carry on without it. It's yours now, not mine. And what happens to them, what they do with it is entirely up to them. You just move on. That's how I see being, uh, being forgiveness, really. That, that's what forgiveness is. It's this personal, internal thing. And, of course, most of all, you need to forgive yourself. Most of us are carrying burdens around of things we've done that we cannot change in the past. And they're stopping us from realizing our full potential and certainly realizing our full happiness. It's pointless. You you cannot change what's happened to you or what you've done. What you can do, if appropriate, is apologize, pay reparations, make amends if you can. But what you need to do, regardless of what you can do, is move on. People just don't want to. It's, it's very fitting that a short, bald man with a shiny head is speaking about forgiveness. How so? It's a very it's uh, it's accredited to to Buddhism the power of forgiveness. Oh right. And obviously, Buddha. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> a Buddhist. Much like that. <laughs> I'm not a Buddhist. I know you're not, but it's uh, so it's a it's a Buddhist trait. Forgiveness. It's also a stoic trait. Uh, releasing. Of, when you of think course, about it, you would course, expect and, it to be you know, form follows function. has a lot of overlap. Form follows function. So. Yeah, exactly. Forgiving something removes all the power it has over you. Mm. Holding on to that resentment or grudge is still very... It's eating away at you is the, the cringiest well, way to put it. Talk, talking about, about power, as, as you just mentioned, I think. Yeah, power. In a negotiation, this goes back to ego as well. In a sales negotiation, if you don't have any any emotional connection or emotional dependence on the outcome, and so you're free to walk away, you will win every time. Because in any negotiation, the, the person who's most willing to walk away from the table has all the power. Now, we just found this in a, in a negotiation, you remember, we had with our construction client, Um. And because he was willing to walk away right at the last minute, no matter what, uh, he got the settlement he wanted. Because the others were not prepared to walk squeaky away. bum time. Yeah. If, if you if you can hold your nerve in squeaky bum time, you know, well, yeah, and if you do genuinely well don't care if you get the sale or not, so they start pushing for discounts. You just say, no, this is the price. If you don't want it, then fine. Just tell me now. You know, are we wasting our time here? What are we trying to do here? If you don't want it at this price, then just say so. There's, there's no negotiation. There's no discount. Uh, so continuing the conversation in this vein is a waste of my time, a waste of yours. Are we doing this or not? Mm. Most people haven't got the courage to say that. That's why they give discounts. And in business, in business, you're going to face difficulties. You're going to face difficult negotiations. Yeah, you're going to face difficult decisions and tough times. It's inevitable. It's, it's the cost of playing the game. Football I've never met a successful business owner without resilience. And I don't believe so anyway. 
No. And it is the what people The ability to trudge through no matter what. Pardon? It is what people lack. Increasingly so. I watched uh, that What is a Woman documentary. Oh, God. That sounds dire. It's by some, to be fair, I'm not keen on the fellow that did it, but it was an interesting show nevertheless. And he was basically talking about how we're uh, raising children who are not very resilient whatsoever because we allow them to believe whatever they want to believe now. I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day, right? And there there was one about a year ago, it was last summer. It was a woman who was writing this long post about how her daughter was, uh, what was the word, distraught. And it was injurious to her her mental health because, and I swear I'm not making this up, because she'd had a sleepover cancelled. Okay. And then a few days ago, I saw a post from another woman. This was a, a Brit saying how her son had, um, been introduced to his new school just before the summer break. I think they do that now, don't they? Basic. Bear in mind, this was a secondary school, yeah. so he's he's what he's a teenager, I guess, fifteen, fourteen, uh, on the cusp. Yeah. No, no, younger. But he's not a child, is he? He's not a young child. Twelve, thirteen. Okay, you would expect him to have some some adult characteristics being knocked into him. But anyway, she was yeah. pissing and moaning because he hadn't been put in the same study group as his best friend and he'd been promised before that would happen. And she was, I mean, it wasn't just like, this is pretty shitty and he's a bit upset. This was a, essentially she was saying this was an assault on his mental health. And I'm thinking if this is how we're raising our children, we have no fucking future at all. People are weak. And as Jordan B. Peterson says, if you're weak, then humility is not a virtue because you've got no fucking option but to be humble if you're weak you don't have a choice if you're strong then you have the choice i don't like weak people yeah no definitely not and i detest them a good way to build resilience is just to reframe everything just reframe it how, how can you reframe that into a positive oh my child's now going to make more friends because he's not going to be just snogging his best mate and not talking to anyone else. So my child's actually going to become a a better, well-adapted, all-round child as opposed to being someone with one friend their whole life. They're going to be able to deal with different types of people. They're going to learn how to to introduce themselves, things that are only beneficial in, in social settings. And typically most people get jobs and they're desirable traits for employed people. So it's, it's, it's a bonus. Well, reframing is, is an incredibly powerful thing to do. And the NLP crowd think they invented it, but they didn't. And it goes, again, all the way back to stoicism, how you look at something. Remember yeah. the, my birthday before last, my 57th birthday, we had a feral cat and it happened to be my, birth, my birthday and it came to the house. And I caught it and took it to the vet because we thought it had got cat flu. Turns out it had got a fucking great big tumour in its face, so they put it down. I've got, I got a history with cats at that vet. So that's five now. Mm. Um, Suspicious. And, and people were saying to me, what an awful thing to happen on your birthday. And I says, well, no. I says, I, what actually happened was I was able to stop a fellow creature's suffering because it was in agony. 
how it survived for that long with a fucking tumor in its face i don't know but the vet said it must have been suffering terribly well i got to stop that from suffering further you know that well it's the same situation it's just how i chose to look at it and she didn't have to get a uh a chicken on the way home for dinner no absolutely and um, my fleshlight got a few days off too <laughs> and the missus got a new scarf <laughs> <laughs> so yeah win 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 <laughs> oh Last but not least, and kind of kind of tied to resilience, how do you master the art of doing shit that you know that needs to be done, but you really don't want to do? Because that, that is a trait of uh, resilience, being able to do the shit that you don't want to do, regardless of how you feel. Well, I guess it comes down to uh, I mean, motivation is, is it's a joke. Um, mo- motivation is like a tank of petrol. You, you get a certain amount, but it soon runs out, you know? Um, I think yeah. my experience of this is what you need is is discipline. Um, this this idea of I think one of the big problems is we like instant gratification, and that manifests itself in our behaviour in nearly every aspect of our lives, including say diet. You know the sugar rush, sweet, fatty, tasty treats. Um, this is why, say, bogus fat loss pills, programs, and diets are so popular because it's an easy sell to say to someone, um, you know, just take this little pill. There's no, no early morning workouts. There's no diet. There's no effort involved at all. It just melts the fat away. Everyone knows it's bullshit, but you know, uh, same as in business. You know, how to get floods of new followers. Have you noticed they sell how to get floods of leads and followers, but they never actually go as far as saying, and you'll get business from it because you don't. Um, you know, mm. you only get business from it if you're actually selling the same thing you've just bought, basically, if you want to become an influencer yourself. So the instant gratification is a, is a classic example of a, of a lack of discipline. Now, it, this is really insidio- insidious because in the world we have now, Let's take the classic example of people who don't have the self-discipline to exercise and moderate their eating and drinking. So they are fat and unhealthy. Well, now we have this overwhelming tsunami of people who say, as soon as you bring it up, you're fat shaming. Well, that may or may not be true. You know, my, my, an individual person's motivation may be to get someone to feel bad. Maybe it is. I don't know. But that doesn't change the fact that fat people are fat and being fat is generally deleterious to your health. As well as being, in my opinion, which I'm entitled to, fucking unsightly as well. <laughs> you know? Discipline. I mean, it can be rather dis- gross. Discipline. Here's the thing. I get up at five o'clock every morning, right? Not because I'm some kind of ninja or I'm fucking hustling, but because I've, I've got a lot of things I need to do in a day. And if I don't get up at five o'clock to do them, the chances are I'll miss some of the important ones. So I get up at five o'clock in the day. I'm in the gym by six. I'm usually done by about quarter past seven, half past seven. I do mobility work. I do heavy weights and stuff. All right. I, I stick to a fairly strict moderated diet to ensure I don't get too fat and to get to lose a bit of fat for the summer. That takes discipline. Believe me, 
at five o'clock in the morning, when I when that alarm goes off, especially in the winter, I am not in the slightest bit fucking motivated. I want to if stay in bed. If you rely on motivation, you'll get fucking nowhere. No, you stop. Um, It'd be great while you're excited, but when it does get cold, when you have got to go out to that gym at half past five, six o'clock, and it's freezing cold, so that your hands are burning and hurting on the cold steel bars, or you're really hungry and you think, no, I'm not going to open the fridge and fucking inhale the contents. That takes discipline. Yeah. But of course, if you, uh-huh. if you point you this out to discipline. people, if you point this out to people, you are then victim shaming. Victim blaming and shaming, you know? Of course. It's not my fault I'm fat. The easiest way to the easiest way to appear motivated to other people and to to be seen to be disciplined and to actually be disciplined is to make it easy to be disciplined. So create yourself step by step systems. I'm sure your morning routine is pretty well planned out. So when you wake up in the morning, it doesn't matter how you feel. You know, you've got to do step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, all the way to step 10. It's get up, do this, do that, work out, mobility, eat, shit, shower, shave, in that order, work begins. End of system one, start system two. Uh, Make those systems easy to follow. Give yourself guardrails, give yourself some rules. You know, people talk about things such as intermittent fasting as if it's a miracle drug. Oh. No, it's simple. If if you constrain the window of which you can eat, you're more than likely going to eat less because you've just you've yeah. instigated some guardrails. Especially if you're a fat cunt who wolfs down breakfast usually. And now you've <laughs> got to wait till one o'clock to have your chicken salad. Make discipline easy, even when doing the things gets hard, create systems, have those guardrails in place for, for what, whatever it is that you want to do. If you want to get really good at running, for example, don't rely on your motivation each day to go for a long run. No, create yourself a system and follow that system with your head down one foot in front of the other. And uh, eventually you'll look up and you'll be like, oh, fuck me. It's just part of life now. I am disciplined. I can do it. Jocko Willink. Interestingly enough, said, um, if you want to, and it's actually a lot more profound than it seems, if you want to start getting up at 4.30 in the morning, because he talks about the benefits of getting up early. He said, if you want to start getting Mm -hmm. up at 4.30 in the morning, start by getting up at 4.30 in the morning. That's how Mm -hmm. I started getting up at five o'clock. I didn't work up to it. I didn't plan it. I just, one morning, I just decided, fuck it. Well, one night, I'm going to get up at five tomorrow. Now, the first day was pretty fucking grim because I was tired. But within a two or three days, I got into the routine. Yeah, I'm asleep by about anything from half past nine to half past ten. Big deal. But once you get into the routine, you're in the routine. Now, uh, let's be honest here. I have a, 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 a built-in superpower here. Being autistic, I find routine not just easy but necessary. Once I'm in a routine, you have to hit me with a large hammer to get me out of it. So... I, I know my diet. I know what I eat, the, the quantities. I know my re, my exercise regimes. Uh, and not doing them is almost perverse to me. It's weird. But, hey, that's just another advantage. But anyone can do it if they want to. People say, I don't have time. It's, of course it's they can. true. I mean, you, they probably sit watching telly or fucking doom scrolling on Instagram. You know? if, if, you, if you've got a worthy goal, whether that's getting in shape, growing the business, coming good at running, whatever it is, and then you develop a system of how you're going to get good at that thing, and then you install some guardrails. There's nothing really within your control within your control that can stop you. 
No, I mean, I can't remember who it was who said it having now. Having rules I'm, I'm... such as... Go on. Sorry, Go just on. having rules such as filling your macros out. Like, I will eat 180 grams of protein every day without fail. All of a sudden, that's a rule. It really constrains what you can eat and how much you can eat. Mm. And if your goal is to lose weight, you probably will by in- introducing a, a, a guideline such as that. And then you've got the step-by-step process of, all right, every day I get up and I go for 10,000 steps. Uh, midday, I go to the gym. And you've got the system. You've got the guardrails. It's almost impossible to fail. The only thing that will, that, that will get in your way is whether you really care about the end goal or not. Or you might just be hopeless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I people can make excuses to do all, not, for not doing all this kind of stuff. And that's all they are. I mean, Jim Rohn used to say, uh, you know, it's, it's, these things are easy to do, but they're just as easy not to do. And it's true. You know, there's, there are times it would be just so easy to close my eyes and roll over and cuddle up to Mrs. EBG and pretend the world ain't there. But I don't. Because I know I want to stay lean. I know I'm, I'm 58 now, close to 59. I've probably got five or six years to get to my what's what's now going to be my peak fitness and muscularity and all the rest of it. After 65, objectively, you start to lose it. There's nothing you can do. After 75, you go off a cliff. So it's a bit like an aeroplane. The higher you get that plane, the more leeway you've got when the engines run out. The more choices mm-hmm. you've got. If you're at, if you're at a thousand feet a and you lose good the engine, yeah. If you're at a thousand feet and you lose the engines, you're in trouble, real trouble. If you're at ten thousand feet, you're better off. If you're at thirty-seven, forty thousand feet, or something like that. You've got a lot of leeway, a lot of wiggle room before you hit the ground. Well, that's how I see it. So I've probably got another six or seven years tops before I go into an inevitable decline. So the higher I can build my peak the slower that decline will be. And of course, the, the harder I work during that decline, the slower it will be. All right. But that takes discipline. That takes work. That takes effort. It won't happen if I just say, ah, okay, I don't have time. Too tired. You know, it's, these are all personal choices. Don't get me wrong. I ain't going to criticize anyone mm-hmm. for doing it. But, you know, it's the blame equation. Choices plus actions equal consequences. If your business is shit, if your health is shit because of choices you've made, you know where you're going to find sympathy, don't you? Between shit and syphilis in the dictionary. What people people would look at you from the outside, and again, it's like an iceberg. They just see the tip. They'll just say, ah, oh, yeah. John's just disciplined. Easy really, for him. They don't see the worthy goal. Yeah, it's easy for him. But they don't see the worthy goal that you, you've clearly laid out for yourself, right? I want to be in tip-top shape for as long as I possibly can because I want to be, be able to enjoy, you know, the the end of my life as much as possible. So you've got a worthy goal. You've then educated yourself and continuously educated yourself and built a system of like, right, I've got the worthy worthy goal. Now what's the system? What's the daily steps I need to mm-hmm. take to make sure that happens? You figured that out. And you then, uh, I've got no doubt, I, I don't know the details, but I'd be surprised if you told me I was incorrect here, but I imagine you've got certain rules and guardrails that keep you on track Absolutely. every day. Of course I have. I imagine you've got your macros, your calorie restrictions, uh, your times of day where it's like, right, I will work out at this time of the day and I will do this before I sit at my desk. Six in the fucking morning. 
Six in the morning, yeah. This cunt sends me fucking videos of him eating chicken pitters <laughs> for breakfast. <laughs> Awful stuff. Awful stuff. Oh, but that's gorgeous, all you've man. got. After workout, after workout, I have my post-workout meal. doesn't matter if it's 6 p.m. or 6 a.m., and that's going to be chicken in a pitter with a certain amount of mayonnaise. <laughs> and that, that kind of ties us around nicely. That iceberg again. You know, they see the tip. They don't see everything else that goes with it, which then in terms uh, take accountability rather than, oh, it's easy for John looking at the tip of the iceberg. No, take accountability. Ask the questions. The only way you're going to be able to ask the right questions is by losing the ego. Yeah. All three in one wrap-up. Yeah. And with that, I think we've done it, haven't we? We certainly are. What, What should they do, Johnny boy? Eat less. Exercise more. <laughs> what should they do? No, well, if they want to pay us an ordinance. <laughs> if they want to yeah. pay us a huge amount of money, um, then probably the best thing they could do is get in touch and arrange to speak to you or speak to me. Now, they've got a couple of options. If they're, if they're really, really scary, the scar, if they're really scared and weak and feeble, they can go to wellfedbusiness.com and have a look at what we do. And then they can email Holly, holly at wellfedbusiness.com. Spell it just like it sounds, H-O-L-L-Y at wellfedbusiness.com. But if you're feeling a bit braver, you can call me, okay? So it's plus 353, because it's in Ireland, plus 353-833-943-793. But just bear in mind, I will not be giving you free advice or tips, okay? We're not just having a chat. I'll be asking you some very, very uncomfortable questions, and you will answer me, otherwise there's no point in calling me. And I promise I won't try and sell you anything unless you ask me to. Now, just to save us perhaps some time, okay, our personal consultation starts at £1,500 sterling, and our mastermind starts at £10,000 and go all the way up to £65,000, and consulting is even more than that. If all of that is out of your reach, even at the low end, then again, just don't call me. There's no point. It won't go anywhere. And I will establish this fact in the first few minutes of our call. So, as Clint Eastwood once says, are you feeling lucky, punk? Or did he say, well, punk, are you feeling lucky? I'm not sure.